Good morning. Good morning. There we go. I got some awake faces now, so people are awake. I know spring break sometimes for me, I know, and for a lot of people, especially with kids, it just throws you off because you get into a routine as a parent or just as an individual in your life, and then like everything's different, you know, traffic's different during spring break, you know, so you get happy, and then next week it'll be terrible, and you'll be so upset again. No, I'm kidding, but uh, thank you for being here this morning. I know we we had some people out last week due to vacations and things like that, and I hope you have enjoyed your spring break, but we're going to continue on doing what God's called us to do here at Trinity Life Church. So this morning, if you could open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, and we're going to start in chapter 3. But before we get started there, I want to talk about what we're going to be talking about this morning. And uh, Kevin or, or guys back there, if y'all could pull the title up for me. We're going to be talking about longing for the Lord. Longing for the Lord. Which I found it was very, not coincidental, but just, you know, when the Lord moves in such a way. And this morning we were longing for more. We want more of you, Lord. The Lord had put this on my heart uh, last week. And when pastor came to me and said, you know, uh, we're going to be gone this next Sunday. Will you step in and, and speak? I said, of course. And, and uh, the Lord had already been preparing me for that. So I'm thankful for that. And so this morning, I want to talk about what what is longing for the Lord? What does that look like? How do we long for the Lord in our life? And, and I want to start off by, by giving a uh, a story of my life. You know, some of you may know me personally. Some of you may not know me personally. Uh, but my testimony is that when, uh, let's see, in 2014, I came to our church and I was saved here in our church. I met with pastor on a Sunday. It was December 12, 2014. I stepped into his office. It was probably around 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And I had been battling a drug addiction. I had been battling a life of sin and I finally came to the Lord, and I said to pastor, he said, what, what are you doing here? I didn't know him. I never met him before. My mom worked with Missy uh, at, at the, the place that she works at right now, and I came to her after I got removed from college. I was a college basketball player. got removed from college due to my drug addiction and due for my way of life, and uh, my mom, she wanted to take me and put me in a rehab facility like any parent would to help their child or to help any person, really. And I, I told her, I said, you know, Mom, I don't, I'm not going to go to a rehab facility, which she wasn't happy when I said that. But I said, I want to go to a church, which there again didn't make much sense to her because I hadn't gone to church in probably eight years. Uh, I went to church growing up, but I didn't go for the right reasons, if you know what I mean when I say that. Now, I went because they had a great gym. And I could get shots up. And I could play some people in basketball. That's a pretty vain reason to go, pretty selfish reason to go, but that's why I went. And though I chose not to live my life for the Lord, I felt this drawing suddenly out of nowhere that I needed to get my heart right. And I knew better. That was the thing. I knew better. Growing up, my mom had done her best to teach me in those things. I didn't grow up in a very, uh, I wouldn't say hard home, but I grew up in a home where the Bible, the word of God and prayer wasn't pushed heavily. And so when I would go to church as a young man and a young boy and come home, none of that was instilled principally from my house. So I didn't see the value in it. 
So I just moved on, you know, I'd just go there. My, one of my best friends growing up, his dad was the worship leader in the church. And so it's, you know, I knew people in the church, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know him personally. That was the difference. So back to this story, uh, backing up, you know, about my life and longing for God and what that looked like. I remember my senior year, uh, at the end of my senior year, so I had already graduated. Uh, I had already, you know, figured out what college I was going to go to, and I'd already set everything up. Uh, due to my, my, I had bad grades. You know, I did. I didn't take care of my grades. I could have had an opportunity to play at a greater college, but I didn't. And my mom, on a whim, wanted me to go try out at this college, and I went, and she prayed. I've been praying about this, and I thought she was nuts. I was like, well, what is that? You know, I'm thinking, what is this going to do? How is this going to help? You know, I, I, I just, I didn't really have that desire at that point. You know, drugs had made its way in my life, and that was my focus more than anything. You know, I kind of lost what I wanted to do with my life. And so I went and tried out at this college that I played at, and... There's over 50 guys that tried out. Only two guys got picked. I got picked with another guy. And I probably played the best I'd ever played. I was blown away. When I got off the court and I went over to my mom, I was going, I don't think I've ever played that good before. I don't, how did I play that good? Because what my mom didn't know is the night before I'd been out partying until 3 o'clock in the morning. I didn't get home until, you know, uh, probably 3.30, almost 4. I slept for two hours, then got in a car and drove with her halfway through Texas, half, you know, messed up from the night before. And then I went and played some of the best ball I've ever played in my life. And she said, I just been praying. I just been praying. You know, even in your, your wickedness and your worst state, God is reaching out. He's trying to move in your heart. The question is, if you want him to, if you let him, he's willing and he's wanting to, but I never really wanted him to. So I just kept him at bay, even though he did many, many things for me. And so I, I have all this kind of in order. I have a, a generalized plan of what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to major in. I don't know what I'm going to do after I get done playing. I'm just like, I'm just going to go play, have fun, and live my life. Let's see how it goes. But that summer, my dad, he made me do something almost every day, which I didn't want to do. And that was every day I had to get up and I had to go get on the tractor. And I had to go attach the brush hog. And I had to go take it out in the fields and I had to mow. If you've ever mowed on a tractor before, now I'm not talking about an air-conditioned tractor. You know, my best friend was, he grew up on a dairy farm, and he'd always be uh, kind of not thrilled, but just like, oh, it's no big deal to go out and do the work on his farm. Well, he had AC tractors. <laughs> he could sit in there, he had a radio, Bluetooth, you know, he could sit there and listen to whatever he wanted with air conditioning. He's in there all day, he's fine. See, we didn't have that. We had a John Deere tractor, just a little top covering, keep a little bit of the sun out of your face. And you got on that thing and it's 103 outside and you're mowing, that is, it's not fun. Trust me, I got sunburnt all the time from it, you know. Why didn't you wear sunscreen? I was dumb. I didn't want to wear it. So I would have these moments when I would be on this tractor mowing. And, and I knew this was, at the time, I didn't know it was God. But now I, I know in my heart it was. I would sit on this tractor and I would look out because, you know, when you'd mow in the morning and the evening, you get to see the sunrise and the sunset, and it's beautiful. And where I lived and grew up, 
I mean, it's quiet. There's, it's, it's so quiet. You go out there, you can see the, all the stars in the sky. It's, it's just one of those things. It's not like, you know, living in the city. And I'm out there mowing and I'm looking out and I just had this, there was just always this something in my heart that would say there's more to this. There's more to my life. What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? And I would sit there, and, and this wasn't a one-time thing. This would be multiple times. And what I didn't know was is that my spirit in me was longing for God. It was longing for redemption. It was longing for fulfillment. It was longing for a genuine transformation of love and an experience that I hadn't even thought of or even put into my mind or into my heart. But God, there he was pulling on my heart. And so in that, you know, our human nature in itself, it's a very selfish nature. It's a very self-longing nature. What I mean by that is, is we long for what we want. We do what we want. We say what we want. We act how we want. So our initial human nature in ourselves is, is to fulfill ourselves in every way. Whether that would be our sinful desire, whether that would be the desire to be loved by someone, whether that would be the desire to be respected or the pride of being right or, or being the best at something. You know, we, we can make a huge list on this, but as human beings, and I know each and every one of you know what I'm talking about when I, when I say this, we long for those things. Some of us in this room, you may be longing for love. Some of us in this room may be longing for uh, direction, guidance, success, whatever it could be. Like I said, the list goes on. But what we need to understand is, is that what you long for as a person will inevitably lead you in your life's pursuit. What you long for as a human being will take you to what you will pursue in your life. And let's think of it in this perspective. If my longing and desire is to be rich, is to be wealthy, is to have a lot of cars, a lot of houses, and to have everything I could want and need to the point where I could just, you know, do nothing, retire early, then I will work myself until I've obtained what I believe is riches, right? I will go to school and I will work hard to obtain what I believe would take me to the place where what? I could gain what I need. You know, growing up, I, I remember talking with my classmates in school and they, I would say, well, they'd say, well, Reese, what's your plan when you get out of high school? And I would be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And they would have like a 12-step plan already made and they're like freshmen. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm way behind the curve here. You know, I'm thinking, oh man, my life's gonna amount to nothing but these, these kids would have it all organized out. And then I'd ask them a question. I'd say, well, is that what you want to do? Well, no. Well, then why are you doing it? Because I'll make a lot of money. You know? I'll make a lot of money. As soon as I get out of college, the, the base salary is $125,000. And then it just goes up from there. You know? And I would have these conversations with people. And their desire, their longing would be to be rich, to be successful, to obtain what what they believe is, is riches, you know? But the thing is, is that's never enough because that's a selfish, fleshly longing. It never amounts to anything. It may at the time look like it does, but in the end, it won't. If my longing is to be seen and loved by other people, then I'll live a life devoted to gaining the attention and the affection of my peers at all costs. Think about it. 
you know, we see all of these things on our on the internet and on TV and tabloids and newspapers, and it's just attention, 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 attention. It's people longing for attention. It's people longing for the affection of others, and the only way they know how to get it is is by making a public display of themselves, by causing controversy at all costs, by doing anything they can just to gain some sort of attention. And I grew up with people like that. I remember thinking about it. I grew up with girls who would do certain things, act certain way to, to gain the attention of, of a boy or a person or a, a mother or a father, and it vice versa with the boys, with the men. So in our life, there's a longing that each of us have. And right now in our culture, we have many platforms that people, like I was saying, do this. They do it through social media. How can I get the most likes, the most views? How can I be seen? How can I be loved? How can I be heard by people around me? But my question today for you is this. I don't know what you long for as a person. But my question today is that. What do you long for? I don't know each and every one of you personally, so I don't know what you are desiring to do in your life. But what is it? What do you long for? Because like I said earlier, what you long for as a person will inevitably be what you pursue in your life. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will also reap of his flesh corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit of the Spirit will reap everlasting life. The Bible talks about that. What we sow is what we will reap. So if my goal is to sow into seeds of selfishness, of what I can gain, of what I can do, well, inevitably at the end, that's what you will reap. If my goal is to, to sow into my flesh, well, inevitably in the end, that's what you will reap. You will reap the corruption of it. But if I choose to do something different, if I choose to sow to the Spirit, I reap something greater, and that's everlasting life. So what we choose to devote our lives to and what we choose to long for in them matters. Don't ever let someone tell you that it doesn't because it does. We see so many great stories, you know, of, of, of athletes, of successful people, and we look to those stories for inspiration. You know, we think of, uh, you know, a lot of people know this person when I say it, and if you don't, just, it won't take you long to hear him. Just type in his name. You'll know everything about him. Uh, a good example would be for me, I'm a basketball player. I like to incorporate with that basketball as illustrations. LeBron James. LeBron James was a kid who grew up in, in Ohio who had nothing. His mom at times couldn't even care for him. He lived in a home and, 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 and was moved around constantly. But yet now he's the top basketball player in the world. And his story brings inspiration. But what you see in his story is, is what he chose to devote his life to is what he longed for and what he made the most and, and what he mattered and cared about the most. What was that? Basketball. But what, what is it that you want to long for? Because like I said, when you long for the things of the flesh, it only will bring corruption. You never gain anything from it in this world, longing for the things of this world. Our main text, like I said, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 11, we're going to read it. It says, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He's in prison at the time. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellent of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's longing was to know Christ at all costs and to be submitted to his will at all times in a personal relationship. This is Paul. His longing desire, this is a man right now in this portion of scripture in the moment is in prison. How many of you right now, if I took you and I put you in prison, what would you be longing for? Set me free. Set me free. Get me out of here. That big dude's going to beat me up. I'm scared. The food's terrible. You would go, I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do to survive in here. You'd be thinking of a thousand different things to long for. Yet here's Paul in prison writing to the believers. And what is he wanting? I want to know Jesus more. I want to know him more. I want to long for, I want to long after him more. I want to desire him more. You would think that his desire would be to get out of there, but he wasn't even worried about that. His desire was to know Christ at all costs. And he says that to know Jesus at all costs and to lose and, and count all things lost for the excellent of knowing the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This man if anybody, as a man, could have been complacent in a human perspective, it could have been Paul. Why? Because, to be quite honest with you, Paul would put us all to shame in this room. And that's not to be rude. That's not to degrade. That's the truth. This man devoted his life to God. Before he became a Christian, he was a Jewish Pharisee. Do you understand the requirements of that in itself? of what he had to do, of what, how he had to, to put his life in complete devotion to the law and to the things that were put into the law. It says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3 through 7, it says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in your flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. He says this, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee, concern, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So this guy had done it all, man. He had, he had followed every single thing. And if anybody had the right sitting in prison to get complacent and to say, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm going to do it my way. To stop longing after God and longing after the things that God wanted him to long after for him. It was Paul. Easily, he could have been the person to do that. But yet, what do we see? He's been putting God first. And we have to be putting God first in our lives with everything in us, always making sure that we deny ourselves and the things that we once counted as priceful and, and meaningful and to say that they're priceless, and to pursue a deep relationship with God. Having to deny yourself and, this, and to sacrifice time and effort towards God is not a hard thing to do whenever your focus and longing is God. Understand that sacrificing your time for God and giving yourself to Him and longing for Him like Paul did, who's in prison, longing for Jesus, 
wanting Jesus, longing that God would move in other people's lives. Like, wait a second. He's like, wouldn't you be, I mean, I know every one of us in this room would be on our knees going, Jesus, break this prison open and get me out of here. And he's sitting there saying, I long for you to be blessed. I long for God to move in you. I long, what was he longing for? He was longing for the things of God, not the things of himself. He counted himself last. And then he counted everything he knew last. Because the most important thing for him was Jesus. What are you longing for today in your life? Because I see Paul as an example to us who was longing after God and he never got complacent. He feared getting complacent because he knew what it would do. Are we complacent? Are you complacent? Am I complacent? These are questions we need to ask ourselves each and every day because we need to make sure that we don't lose our longing for the Lord, our desire for him. Because over time, when we lose that, we drift. We drift away from the Lord. Taking away and denying the longing for the world and sin and the flesh and including all of the meaningless things in life must be a top priority if we are going to be the church of Jesus Christ. Longing for the Lord is a beautiful thing. And whatever your heart is longing for each day, God is willing and he's wanting to meet that need because ultimately he does meet that need in himself. The answer to every one of your problems in this room, I don't know what your problem could be today, is Jesus. That's the answer, period. Well, that's too simple, Pastor Reese. Well, that's the thing. It's simple. The gospel was given to us in such a simple way and in a simple process through faith in Christ Jesus so that all of us could receive. Those of the wise, those of the poor. But why do we in our human nature make it so hard to think that all it simply consists of is our hearts and our lives given to Jesus at all costs? The answer to all of our problems is Jesus. The answer to a desire for love and acceptance is to come to the King of Kings and receive the greatest love. Jesus shared a love that was shed for us on a cross. And whatever you may need today, Jesus is the answer to that need. If we think we need a stimulus package of worldly fixes and sinful fulfillment, we're mistaken. I see it too much. I see people who long for fulfillment, who long for strength, who long for identity, who long for direction, who long for peace. And where do they go? They go to the world. They go to every other thing but God. And when you mention God, they think it's a joke. But yet the reality is, like myself, sitting on the tractor mowing fields, I realized something. That God was all I needed. Because I can tell you this, when I got saved, that longing that I had, it was fulfilled. It was fulfilled. Immediately it was fulfilled. Immediately I realized, this is what I've been missing. I've been missing Jesus in my life. I've been missing his direction and his guidance and his fulfillment. I've been longing for something, but now I realize what it was. It was God all along. What do you long for as a person? The world desires us to, uh, the world desires to lie to us and to express that the answer to our problems may be a new system, a new gimmick, or a new idea that will offer a peace without a willingness to change. You'll never experience peace in your life from something if you're not willing to change. 
If you're not willing to give up whatever that thing is, I would have never experienced peace in my life if I wasn't, wasn't willing to say, I'm gonna forget about myself and I'm gonna follow Jesus. Not true peace. Because sin, what does sin do? Sin only brings more sin. But truth and righteousness brings peace, love, joy, and a knowledge of holy wholeness. No one in this room can inherit the kingdom of God by living a life of sinfulness and of self-devotion to the world and to yourself. And Jesus made that clear. He made that specifically clear because he wanted, to us, he wanted us to understand something. We cannot experience the resurrection and experience the power of God and see our lives changed and other lives changed. And then not only that, inherit the kingdom of God if all we are doing is living for our selfish desires, for our sinful desires, for our wants. Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? When I lose my life in Jesus, then I find my life. That's where I find my life. I don't find my life in this world. I don't find my life in what I want. I find my life in Jesus. And when I lose myself in him and I forget about myself, I realize he's the only thing that I needed all along. He's what empowers me. He's what strengthens me. He's what leads me each and every day. It's through him. The reality is this, that we have to follow Jesus if we're going to inherit eternal life. In him, meaning we must forget about ourselves and what we want, and we must come under complete obedience to him. Amen. Making his longing our longing, making his desire our desire, and only coming through faith in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Do we understand that? Do we understand that? You know, to be honest with you, this is a tough thing sometimes to tell people. Have you ever walked up to somebody before and told them, hey, the only way to inherit the kingdom of God is you have to forget about yourself. You have to die to yourself. You have to really follow Jesus. I was telling my wife this morning, this past week, I like to play video games on my off time. Every so often I'll play a video game. I play it with my cousin. It's a way for me to connect with him. It's a way for me to pour into him sometimes because he lives a little north of McKinney, so I don't get to see him all that often. Sometimes I'll play with him online in this game, and, and the other day he invited some of his friends on to play, so we're in a, a, what's called a party chat where we're all talking to each other through microphones. And in that time, you know what I did? They said, hey, man, what do, you do? what do you do, Reese? What do you do for a living? I said, I'm a youth pastor. And they all, you know how many of those, those guys didn't even understand what, what a pastor was? So you're a priest. No, I'm not a priest. Do you know how many of these guys, they had no idea. So I started to talk with them. I started to share with them. And I just said this, you know, if we don't have Jesus in our life and we don't find forgiveness and redemption in we're just going to die and go to hell. 
How many of you in this room would want to say that to, to five people you don't really know? It's a pretty nervous thing, right? Well, you weren't face to face. Well, I could hear the response. It was quiet. It's quiet on the other end. And then this, it was just quiet. And then this one guy said, that's right. That's all he said. That's right. That next Monday, week had gone by. Get back on. One of the guys goes, hey, man, I just want to tell you something, Reese. I said, what's up? I went to church on Sunday. He lives in Oklahoma. I said, you went to church? He said, yeah, I went to church on Sunday. He said, I needed to. I hadn't been in a while. I said, that's good, man. He said, you know, it really just, it helped me. And I was telling my wife, whether that was really him trying or, or you know, something else, it didn't matter. His heart was stirred. Something happened there. Why? Because I stopped thinking about myself and I started thinking about, you know what, Jesus? These guys, I may be goofing around on this game with these guys, but these guys need you. And I was able to share that. And now guess what? They have a different respect for me. And they tell me that, man, I really respect you. You actually live what you say. Why? Because just like myself and just like you, we need to make our longing and our focus on Jesus at all times, in all moments, in all situations. It doesn't matter what you're doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world put to, to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, I that is it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Understand something, that no, none of our flesh, no flesh, should have glory in his presence. That's what it says. So if we're longing for God, then my flesh is not having glory in his presence. But if I'm longing for the world, I'm longing for what I want, I'm longing for something from someone else, maybe that, that may be someone here in this room today. If you're longing for the affection from a human being, I'm gonna tell you right now, the affection will fail. Man, that's harsh to say. No, that's reality. Because they're a human being. And they don't do it all perfect, all right, every single time. But if you make your number one concern to long after God and to love him, the amount of blessing, the amount of affection, the amount of love, the amount of fulfillment, the amount of sufficiency goes beyond comprehension. I told my wife this the other day, and she can testify to it. I said, I love you so much, and I care for you. But I cannot live every day of my life just off of your love because it won't work. I have to live my life through Christ and from him first, through him, through his cross. Because that's where the love that I need to give to you comes from. That's where the strength that I need to, to lead you comes from. It doesn't come from you because it can't. But how many of us in this room have done that? How many of us have, have made our longing or our desire to be on something else, not on God? And then we, we get frustrated. Well, why did I fail here? 
Why did this come in? How did the enemy get me on this? Well, clearly it's easy. It's because you took your eyes off of Jesus and you started putting it on yourself. You made your longing the possessions of the world or the possessions of another and you forgot about him, your first love. This is important stuff because if we don't do this, we lead ourselves rampant in our own desires. And that's what I did in my life. The glory that we give goes to Jesus, not ourselves. We must give our lives to him in faith and obedience. Getting saved and giving your heart to the Lord is the most important thing for any human being to do because without God, no one can be saved. Without Christ, no one can inherit the kingdom of God and live in peace here and now and in eternity. Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26, some of you know this. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law, the prophets, and the, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a proposition by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ, a devoted life of serving and following him. We live in a culture where it's just like this like thing where we come to church and it's like a one and done thing. I got my you know, insurance card. I got what I need. Now it's time to go. That's not how the gospel works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. There is nothing in the Bible that promotes that type of teaching or speaks of anything or any Christian that should live that type of life. What it speaks is this. That we are called to be devoted followers in obedience to Jesus Christ. Period. Longing for him in his ways. Forgetting about ourselves. How many of you in this room right now can go to just, you know, just say to yourself right now, I forget myself. Look in the mirror. I forget you. I can't, I can't live my life by what you want. I have to live my life by what Christ wants. I have to obey him. I have to serve him. If you're bound to sin today and you want to be free, you can. It's through Jesus. You come to him, you believe in him, you confess your sins, and you get your heart right today, and you'll experience true forgiveness and communion with God. That's the most important thing. We have to give our hearts to Jesus, and he wants to help us each and every day so that we can walk in a life of obedience to him. Do you understand that when you give your heart to Jesus, he doesn't leave you high and dry. He doesn't just, you know, the, the concept of who he is, the redemption, the experience of what he does, it just doesn't go. It stays forever. Amen. Forever. But it only stays if you want it to stay. It only stays if you want it to stay. When I got saved on December 12, 2014, I told myself, that's when I got saved. When I was a young man, I was seven years old, and I gave my heart to the Lord in a Baptist church in Maybank, Texas. But guess what? I wasn't changed. I spoke some words because I was scared. I was afraid. The fear of the Lord was on me. I realized and understood that sin was real. And even at a young age, and I want to say this to parents, and I don't want to say it to, to shock some people or go, oh, how, you know, why would you say that? 
But listen, when your child comes to the age of understanding, that's when it sets in. That's when the reality comes. Understand that. That's when they have a choice. You don't make the choice for them. I told a mother this a while back. I said, don't you know, even 13-year-olds go to hell. And she looked at me like, how, what? I said, no, come on, think about it. They understand, they know, and they can make a choice. And you have to lead them. And you have to love them. And you have to teach them. And you have to speak the truth to them so that they know. Because they have a choice. Just because you're 13 years old, 14 years old, 15 years old, 16 years old, and that it goes on and on and on, that doesn't mean you get a free pass. That's not how that works. Why? Because the understanding is set in. They know. You have a choice. And when I was seven, it set in. I realized I was sitting in a church, and I heard the preacher. My mom took me to church, and I heard him talk about sin. I heard him talk about heaven. I heard him talk about hell. And then all of a sudden, this, this something wellowed up inside of me, and I told my mom, I need to get my heart right. Little guy. But you see, being young, I didn't understand how to do that. I didn't understand that afterwards, it wasn't a one and done because guess what happened? I drifted away from God. Oh, well, you were seven years old. Well, yeah. I didn't have anybody teaching me, anyone pointing me to Christ. Anyone saying, let's get down on our knees and pray tonight, son. Let's open our Bible and let's read. Let's know what Jesus wants us to do with our lives. I didn't have that. So I drifted. I drifted and I drifted until there I was. I remember sitting in a truck with a person in college and we were under the influence of drugs and I turned to him and said, if we died right now, are we going to heaven? Why would I say that? Why would I say that? That's what I said. Are we going to heaven? He goes, oh yeah, man, we're going to heaven. No, we weren't. We weren't going to heaven. We were kidding ourselves. Why? We had turned our backs on God. So listen, the gospel, it's not an insurance policy. It's not a, a, you know, a get out of jail free card. The gospel is our life in Christ. It's Christ himself. So we have to be making an intentional purpose every day to be longing after and to be desiring the things of God above ourselves. So what are the blessings of living a life desiring and longing after God? What blessings come from this? When someone really truly commits their life to God in obedience and in continued daily faith, what does that look like? I only have three points this morning because if I did more, we'd be here till three o'clock in the afternoon. Three points this morning. And the first point is this. The blessing of living a life desiring and longing after God gives us eternal life. That's where we gain eternal life. It's from us being obedient and faithful in faith to Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. When we long to know God and love God with our whole life, we have the guarantee that when we leave this earth, either by the resurrection or our death, we will be in eternity with Jesus Christ. I asked that question with that guy in that car because I was concerned unknowingly. Hey, are we going to go to heaven? What was I doing? A fear came over me and I thought about it. See, even God in those moments was still, you know, poking at me, trying to get my attention. And looking back, I realize now what that was. But we have to know that we have to be continually walking with Jesus. 
walking every day, dying to ourselves and longing after him. John 17, verses one through three says, Jesus spoke these words. Jesus spoke these words. Listen to this. Lift up his eyes. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 14, verses five through six, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how, we, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. Interesting. Why did Jesus say life? He could have just said, I am the way and I am the truth. It's through me, Thomas, come on. No, he didn't say that. He said life for a reason. Why? Because he was trying to get Thomas to realize something. That to gain eternal salvation that each and every one of us want, we have to be living our life in him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So if I'm not living my life in Christ, am I going to inherit the kingdom of God? No, I'm not. But I was at that thing and that guy said, and I came down and uh, no, I have to be living my life daily in Christ because James says this, life is but a vapor, right? What does that mean? I could go back there and get a can of Febreze and spray it right now and we'd see the mist come out and then within a split, you know, 0.5 of a second, it's gone. That's literally what life is like. Eternity is eternity. The life we have now is just for a moment. But if we're not willing to lay down our lives, because guess what? Jesus was the best example. What did he do? You know, how many people walk around with what would Jesus do bracelets? Think about it. Are you really doing what Jesus would do? Are you laying down your life or are you just putting on a bracelet trying to look cool? No, it's not just about, you know, wearing a bracelet or a T-shirt or a hat, whatever you want to use. It's about our daily life. It's about when you go home and you're alone and no one else is around. It's about when you're alone with your kids and how you speak to them and love them. It's about when you go out in public and how you talk to others. It's about when you're driving down 635 and you're really frustrated because that guy just cut you off. Well, that's no, it does. Because if you get in anger, what is that? It's not what Jesus would do, right? What did Jesus do? Jesus longed for the Father. Jesus would go into the presence in the garden with the Father. He'd go to the mountain and pray. And what would he do? He would long after God. He would long after God's will. Even to the point when when God presented to him, listen, you're going to die, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Why? Because Jesus cared more about what God wanted and less about what Peter wanted. Oh no, Lord, you will not die. Get behind me, Satan. He cared more about what God wanted, not about what his peers wanted, not about what his spouse wanted, not about what the people around him at work wanted. He cared more about what God wanted and he longed and desired after God. That was his focus every day. I've come to do the will of my father. I've come to follow him. 
What the Father speaks to me, that's what I do. How many of us are living our lives just like the example Christ gave? What are you longing for today? That was my initial question at the beginning of this. What do you long for today in your life? What do you choose to put first? Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it... For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just shall have a moment of faith. The just shall partake in a great opportunity and then move on. No, the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith, a continual work a continuance in your life. Through our personal relationship with Jesus in faith, that is how we will be able to inherit the kingdom of God from our lives being devoted and given to him over everything else. The gift of eternal life in Christ is not an insurance policy like I said earlier. We must be following Jesus at every moment. Romans chapter two, verses six through 11 says, who will render to each one according to God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for the glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jews first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Through our obedience and continued faith in Christ is how we will be walking in righteousness to God. It's not perfection, and it's not just about doing what I could do. Oh, well, well I, okay, I prayed for five people today. All right, I've done well. No, God's not looking at it like that. He's not looking at your outward. He's looking at your inward. He's looking at your heart, your desire at all times and at all moments. I had, a, I had a very, very, very strange thing happen to me one time, and it was this. One day, how many of you have ever done this? You're with your wife and you're shopping. Uh-oh. And I got eyes like women looking at the husbands like, oh, you never go shopping with me. I'm kidding. Uh, I was with my wife, and we were shopping. And I love my wife, but my heart was on the Lord. All I could think about was the Lord. I'm not boasting on myself. I'm just using this as an example. And I get a text from a gentleman that I know that I'm very good friends with. And he's a very godly man. And this is what he sent me. He said, the Lord told me to tell you, he loves the fact that you long for him even when you're with your wife. He didn't know I was with my wife. He had no idea. I said, what did you just say? He said, I'm in prayer and I was praying for you. And the Lord wanted me to confirm that to you. It's okay that you long for him when you're with your wife. That's okay. Because he loves that. He loves that you love him so much because that love will be manifested to your wife. You see, God sees our hearts. He sees what's going on. I've never shared that before. And I felt like I needed to. We need to understand that God sees us and he sees what we long for. You can't hide from God. Man, you cannot hide from God. 
I tried it. It doesn't work. He found me, man. He found me. He, he, and I found him. You can't run from him. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. We need to understand something. That if we follow Jesus, we have to make a commitment, not just from our mouth, but from our heart. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 9-13, through 13, it says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. And he who does not believe, God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his, the testimony that God has given of His Son, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let us continue in the faith. The faith that we started. Let us continue to long. Let us continue to be obedient to Jesus each and every day of our lives so that we may be with him in this life and in the end. It breaks my heart when I see people fall away. Because I know what's going to happen if they don't come back. And you try to speak that love to them and that truth to them and you try to care for them. But once they get into their mind that I'm done with this Jesus thing, it's so much harder to bring them back. But God can do it. He can do it. Let's not get to that point in our own lives. Let's be a light to those around us. Let's be faithful to Jesus. Let's follow him in everything that we do. My next point is this. Our sufficiency is in Christ. Our sufficiency is in Christ. How many of you in this room know what the word sufficiency means? I'm going to give you the definition if you don't, so it's no big deal. The definition of the word sufficient is enough to meet the needs of a situation or a proposed end. The synonym for the word sufficient is enough, competent, and adequate. In Christ, we have everything we need for our lives. Fulfillment does not come from the world or from what others think. It should only come from God. Your fulfillment should not come from your spouse. Your fulfillment shouldn't come from your friends. Your fulfillment shouldn't come from YouTube, from social media, from TV. Your fulfillment shouldn't come from these things. Your fulfillment shouldn't come from what people say and what people think about you, but yet that's what people do. Their fulfillment comes when all they focus on is what other people think, what other people say. And then each day, it's like a roller coaster. It's like a roller coaster each and every day. But you see, God, he wants us to find our sufficiency in him. Psalms 145 verse 18 through 21 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will heal, hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 says, Not that, that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Nothing is from ourselves. Everything we have is from God. But why is it that we take sufficiency in ourselves or in the world or in what people think or say? I'm telling you, it's so prevalent right now in our culture that kids will waste their life based off the opinions of others. They'll waste their lives off the opinions of people who hate them, who don't love them, who don't care for them. So our approval and our fulfillment in life comes from God and the Holy Spirit, not from what men say, not what from our flesh says, but only from God. But our sufficiency, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This is the same, same portion of Scripture. But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There should be nothing else in our lives taking the first priority above God. If you right now have something in your life that you have prioritized above God, today you need to get your heart right. Today you need to repent of it. Today you need to make God your number one focus. Because I can tell you right now, you know what I was wanting when I was on that tractor as a young man, riding across there mowing those fields? This wasn't like a 20-minute thing, guys. I was out there for hours, okay? If you've ever mowed a field, it doesn't take, it's not mowing your front lawn, okay? There's a lot of time to think and to contemplate and to think about who you are and what you're wanting to do. And I remember sitting there longing and wanting something more. And guess what? When I found Jesus, that's where the sufficiency came in. If you're in this place and you want love, Jesus is your love. If you're in this place and you want forgiveness, redemption uh, from your sin, from a wicked life, Jesus can give that to you. And he wants to give it to you. He wants to give it to you. God wants to give it to you. All it takes is you forgetting about yourself. Jesus made it clear to the disciples that they couldn't do anything without him. You and I cannot do anything without God. Zero. There's a scripture in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that talks about even in our greatest strength, God's weakness is stronger. Think about that. Well, I'm pretty strong, Pastor Reese. I don't care. God's weakness is stronger than your greatest strength. So why would we glory in ourselves thinking that we can do it all ourselves or that we can accomplish God's will for our life? We can't. We have to follow in obedience to see his will accomplished in our life. John 15 verses 1 through 8 says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Abide. Interesting. Abide in me. Don't just come to me one time and forget about me. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. If you want to see blessing in your life, if you want to see the Spirit of God moving and working in your life, if you want to know God on a deep and personal relationship, you have to abide with him. You have to abide with him. 
You have to choose to devote yourself to him and make time for him. Verse five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Interesting, Jesus makes it clear who's in charge here, right? He says, I'm the vine, you're not the vine. Why are you thinking you know what you're doing? You don't, you follow me. So many people have that confused. Well, I want Jesus to be what I want him to be. That's not how it works. The real Jesus isn't like that. That's a fake Jesus. The real Jesus says, hey, listen, you're following me and I'm in charge. You're obeying me. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word, my words, my words, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Sufficiency. Jesus says, if you will abide in me and obey me and follow me, you'll never have to need anything. Because as soon as you ask, I'll take care of it. You've chosen me as your source. What do you long for today, church? What do you long for? What do you desire? What do you want in your life? What do you put as top priority? Because what I see in scripture is this, is that if we abide with Jesus and we obey him, we won't have to worry about things. We'll only have to focus on the things that he's called us to do. We won't have to get caught up in the world and in sin and in flesh. We'll be so close to him that none of that will even draw our attention because we'll realize he's our source. He's our strength. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Jesus is the source for our life completely. We need to long for the Lord and be abiding in his ways and obeying his commands, and getting all of our sufficiency from him. We can't have a half-hearted commitment to Jesus Christ. Do we understand that, church? We cannot have a half-hearted commitment to Jesus Christ. Why? Because a kingdom divided within itself will fall. If half of me wants to serve Jesus, half of me doesn't, guess what? It's just going to fall apart. It's not going to amount to anything. But if all of me wants to serve Jesus then all of me will see him move and work in my life and in others. But you have to make that choice. You have to long for God. You have to say, I'm doing this not for myself, but for him because I love him. The third thing is this. This is the last point. And in a little bit, I'll have the worship team come up here because we're gonna have some altar time. Because guess what? Before we leave this place, if your heart is not right and you say, you know what? Pastor Reese, I've been longing after the wrong things. I've been doing the wrong things. I've been dealing with some things and I haven't been making God my source. Well, then we're gonna have you come down and you could come and pray and you can get your heart right with him. And if today, if you wanna give your life to Jesus and you never have, come. It's the most important decision you can make because whatever in your heart is longing for love, for peace, whatever it may be, Jesus will supply that. Third thing is this. God sees our love for him through our life given to him. God sees our love for him through our life given to him.
You see, we always talk about God's love, right? Because it's a good love. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's a love that took the cross. It's a love that gave up everything for us. Heaven went bankrupt for us and sent Jesus. But how often do we talk about how we love him? How do we love the Lord? God can see the intentions of our hearts, of why we do things, of why we say things. He could see why we're choosing to obey him and follow him, and he could see what our motive and our purpose is in it. John chapter 14, verse 23 through 24 says, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. By keeping God's word, right here, by obeying God's word and his commands, it shows Jesus that we're committed and that we want to live our lives knowing him and longing after him. That doesn't mean it gives us approval. Let's understand that today. Approval comes through Christ. Approval comes through faith. Justification is by faith. I don't read my Bible to be saved. Okay? I read my Bible to know the one who is saving me. That's the difference. So it's important that we know that. Okay? It's not this systematic obligation. It should be our top desire and love and joy to be in God's word by obeying his commands. How can someone say that they love God, but they don't fear him, obey him, or follow anything in his word and faith in their life? Explain to me how that works. I really want to know. How can someone tell me to my face or in this world say, oh, I love Jesus, I love God, but not a single part of themselves, not a single part of what they want or desire even go to him? They don't even know his word and they don't even desire to know it, but they love him, man. They love him. Let's put it in this perspective because then we'll really get it. Just like a husband and a wife have a commitment and a love for one another, people can see that, right? You ever been in a restaurant? You can see, you can look at a couple. You can look at a family and you can see love. You can see, you can see it. Okay, so if I put it that way, we're all jolly and good. But if a husband never spent time with his wife and knew nothing about her, what would we say in our human nature? Oh, that man's awful. He doesn't even love his wife. He doesn't even care for his wife. He doesn't even love his kids. Why? Why would we say that? Because we would base off of what his life looks like what he loves and what he puts as top priority would then reflect who he is, right? So if a husband never loved his wife and never loved his kids and never spent any time with them, never knew them, knew nothing about them, yet was that husband, our human nature would say that, no, he doesn't love his family or his wife. Or vice versa, if a wife never spent time with her husband, never spent time with her children, never gave anything to them in a sense of caring, we would say the same thing, oh, that's a terrible wife. 
But why don't we recognize that just like this example, we do that same very thing to God in our lives when we neglect the fact that we must know him and put him first. Why is it acceptable that when it comes to human examples and human observations, we can observe every person who drives by. We be like, oh yeah, that person's bad. That person's bad. That person's bad. We can observe all the actions. We can observe, observe all those things. And we could say, oh, that person's a terrible husband, boyfriend, whatever. I don't know you could put it in any category and we would base it off all of that but why can't we look at ourselves and look at ourselves spiritually and say this we don't spend time with Jesus isn't that the same thing because the Bible likens our relationship to God just like a marriage if you read Ephesians chapter 5 he declares that we're the bride and he's the bridegroom If I never loved my wife, I never cared for her, I never spent time with her, I never knew what she liked and what she didn't like, I never knew how she wanted me to live and how she didn't want me to live, would I know my wife? Would I really love my wife? If I never spent time with God, if I never longed after God, if I never desire God, if I never put God first, how do I know God? How do I know that I love God? How do I know that he loves me? How do others see me and perceive, oh, that God doesn't love God, he could care less. This is reality. That if we truly love God in our hearts, we will follow him willingly. We will obey him. Jesus showed us this, like I said, the example by his life. Let's fully love God. Worship team, if you could come. Let's fully love God with our lives. Let's be longing after him. Let's be desiring to know him. Let's be loving God and following him. It's much more than just coming to church. It's much more, much more than just being a part of a ministry. Though those things are important and we must do them. But loving God goes beyond just being here. Loving God goes beyond just being in a social network of, of Christians. Of getting the daily dish on who screwed up where and what's happening when. That's not what it's about. Being a Christian is about devoting your life to Jesus and to loving him and to gathering together as a group of believers who want the same thing. How did 120 change the world? How did 120 men and women change the world? I said this on Wednesday night and I'm gonna say it again. How? How? It came from their devotion to Jesus. Have we been so willing to be devoted in longing after Jesus that if Jesus whispered to our heart and said, listen, I want you to wait. I want you to wait all night because I have something for you. Well, Jesus, I can't wait all night because my show's coming on at nine o'clock. Well, who cares about the show? Jesus. Well, Jesus, I can't spend this time in prayer with you this morning because you know what? I have to get up and I'm really tired and the kids... Who's our source? Jesus. I'm really tired. Well, hey, come to me. I'll refresh you. I'll take your burdens. And then we go through our day and we go, I'm just so overburdened. And, I, and, and Jesus is like, I'm right here. I've been waiting all morning to take what you've been neglecting. Me, I'm waiting patiently, patiently. The Bible says patiently he waited. Patiently in God's kindness, he waits for us to get ourselves right, to come back. This morning, this is, this is not 
a lot of times an easy message to preach. And I'm not boasting in myself. I'm saying the reality is it's tough, but we have to be willing if we are going to be the body of Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to say, I am going for Jesus at all costs. I count everything lost. What did Paul say? Paul said, I count all of the things I've learned and known already lost. Oh my gosh. Imagine if you counted everything lost that you have and made your only focus to know Jesus. That's it. God desires that our hearts be given to him, that we love him and we follow him and we obey him daily. Romans chapter 12, verses one through two says this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. Interesting. Paul says, that's your reasonable service, guys, to devote your life to him. Do we even get it? Do we even get what he took for us? I want you, everyone in this room right now, to close your eyes. I want you to imagine Jesus on the cross. Everyone, close your eyes. I'm serious. Imagine Jesus on the cross. Hours and hours and hours of sitting there. Crying out, Father, forgive them. They don't know. I love them. They don't know. And we shortchange him. We shortchange him with our lives. Yeah, he willingly, willingly, guys, willingly. Do you understand? Nobody, nobody forced Jesus to do what he did. Just like God isn't going to force you to follow him, to long after him, and to obey him. He's a gentleman. He doesn't work like that. He loves us, and he's given us a choice. And we're gonna come into this time in the altar and I wanna give you a choice. If you wanna come in these altars and you wanna kneel, well, there's not an altar, it doesn't matter. Kneel before the Father and King in heaven and you wanna say, God, I wanna commit my whole life to you. I got off track, I forgot. Maybe there's someone in here who wants to give their whole life to Jesus and they never have before. I want you to come and we'll pray with you. Or maybe there's someone in this room who just needs a touch from heaven. I want you to come. Don't worry about the people around you because guess what? Your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your friend, whoever, they won't put the longing for Jesus in you. You have to. They won't save you. You have to make the choice if you're wanting to obey. That's up to you. So I'm gonna pray and they're gonna begin to worship. And we're gonna make a commitment. And I believe that, that all of us in some way should come. And we're gonna say, you know what, Lord? I'm making my devotion you now. I'm gonna long for you. I've been longing for other stuff. I've been finding sufficiency or trying to in other things and, and I always end up in sin or I always end up failing. But when I depend on you, that's where I find victory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you right now. 
that this message is not just for them, but it's for me. It's for us to all carry. It's for us to choose every day to live our lives for you, not for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would stir up the longing, the hunger, and the desire to obey you and follow you in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and you begin to touch the hearts of each man and woman in this place. You begin to stir their hearts to you, God. Right now, Father, in Jesus' name, just come. If you wanna come, just come. If you all wanna stand as we worship, just come.